Our scripture reading today is from Luke 8, 40 to 55. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus's feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garments, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds summon you, and you are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and fall down, falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she's not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called her, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, it's an honor to return and open up God's word with you all again. Just have to say that my first time here a couple of weeks ago, was one of the warmest receptions I've ever had guest preaching. And this is like through Zoom. So it really left an impression on me. And I was also grateful to see familiar faces, meet new faces. And for those I'm seeing for the first time, my name is Joe Moon. I got married to my wife, Kirsty in 2019. I also got ordained within like a month of our wedding, meaning she did all the planning and I gave all the criticism. Uh, so yes, she is supremely patient and forgiving. <laughs> um, it's good to be here with you this morning as we open God's word. Today, we'll be highlighting how essential it is to place our faith in Jesus. And we'll be looking at this concept through the lens of Luke 8. What does faith look like in desperate times? What does it look like when we mourn, when we need healing, when we need comfort? And as we open ourselves to what our text has for us today, I want to recognize that some of us, some of the topics that we'll be approaching may hit really close to home. And I hope you will be encouraged and feel God is with you today. So we'll walk through our passage with three hows. How mourning can turn into rejoicing. How death can turn into life and how Jesus can give you both joy and life. So how mourning can turn into rejoicing, how death can turn into life, and how Jesus can give you both 
joy and life. First, how mourning can turn into rejoicing. And what we find in the first part of our passage is Jesus going to the house of Jairus, a powerful man, to heal his daughter after a very passionate plea. But on the way, we have what seems to be a brief encounter with this woman. So what do we know about this woman? First, she was suffering from an illness for 12 years, going from doctor to doctor. And she might have repeatedly said to herself, maybe at last this doctor will have a cure, only to be disappointed again and again. Second, because she had this illness, she was deemed spiritually unclean in her society. And it's hard to translate what that really uh, was like to our modern day, but being unclean meant that for at least seven days, you were treated as a spiritually diseased and highly infectious person. You could not worship, you could not participate in social gatherings, you could not find work except for the most menial jobs. And whenever you would walk into town or in a crowded street, you would have to announce to everyone around you, unclean, unclean, so that your uncleanness wouldn't spread. And on top of that, there's a notion that if you had an ongoing illness, it meant that you were under God's punishment, that you must have done something wrong, something sinful, something secret, and you're just paying for whatever you had done. So long story short, she was poor. Her hope would be crushed over and over again. No compassion from society. The presumed guilty of an unknown crime. Nicholas Wolterstorff, he's a thinker and a writer. He wrote a memoir called A Lament for a Son. In it, he is brutally honest about his deep, sorrow after losing his 25-year-old son to a tragic skiing accident. And one line stuck with me as I read his memoir. Sorrow is no longer the islands, but the sea. For 12 years, every single social interaction would have reinforced this to her. She may have been alive, but her days were filled with mourning and lament. And perhaps a thought crept into her heart. Maybe even God hates me too. Sorrow is no longer the islands, but the sea. What's fascinating about this passage is if you look at verse 44, it says, she came up from behind Jesus. She touched the fringe of his garment then. And for the longest time, I thought the completion of that verse was, and then she was healed. But it doesn't say that. And especially in other translations, as well as the original Greek, it says the flow of blood ceased immediately. Now, why doesn't it say that she was healed? Because Jesus wasn't done restoring her. Jesus needed to do more than physical healing. He needed to heal her spiritually, emotionally, socially. She needed 
to see Jesus not only as a dispenser of miracles, but as the gracious Lord. Because she was unclean and did not announce that she was unclean, as she pushed through the crowd to touch Jesus, the social nuclear fallout would have been irreparable. She would have been driven out of town or worse, put to death. Although she was physically freed, this secret would have been her cage. Would she be found out? When would she be found out? What if something tragic happened because of other people were unclean because of her? When Jesus says, who touched me? When Jesus uttered those words, what thoughts would have gone through her, her head? Oh no, I'll be exposed again. Will I be shunned again? Will I be unlovable again? And if you're anything like me, I need to be reminded that when Jesus brings my sin and my shame into the daylight, he doesn't do it to bring down judgment, but to bring forgiveness and freedom. It may seem harsh at first, but Jesus cuts in order to heal. What I may see as a chainsaw is really a scalpel. In front of the crowd, he had to bring what this woman had done into the daylight to restore her. And although she was expecting condemnation, she heard, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You are my child. Know how much you've suffered. I will protect you as I have healed you and freed you. If anyone would strike out against you, they must contend with me first. And if her heart ever held the notion that God had forsaken her, here was God pouring out his love for her. With one sentence, it's remarkable how little Jesus speaks. With one sentence, Jesus turned her mourning into rejoicing. Can you imagine what the entirety of scripture has for us? If Jesus brings us joy, would you not trust him to walk beside you through mourning? And if Jesus brings us through mourning, would you not trust that he will bring joy even though it seems bleak? If you're going through a season of mourning, whether it's the death of a family member, economic hardship, depression, there is a well that you can draw from in our passage. Go to Jesus. He makes time for the battered soul. He will provide not because of the strength of your faith, but because he loves you. You don't have to go through it alone. During the pandemic, I came across this show called Alone, where 10 contestants were set out in the wilderness with GoPros and only like 10 survival items, and whoever lasted the longest would win $500,000. And it's amazing to see the human psyche in isolation. Right? In the first 15 to 20 days, there was a sense of joy and discovery. But around day 20, you begin to see 
then break down psychologically. And as much as it is a wilderness survival show, it's also a show describing suffering in isolation. Right? It's really hard to suffer, but it's 10 times harder to suffer when you're going through it alone. And maybe that's why Jesus went to the cross the way he did. The presence of his father was always with him, but on the cross, the presence of his father was one of wrath turned against him. He was truly and utterly alone as he suffered God's wrath to pay for our sins. I know when I go through trials and suffering, my heart says, God has abandoned you. But for Jesus, that became true on the cross. Jesus went through death and torment so that we face death and so that when we face death and torment, we would not be alone. And now some of you might be thinking, wow, we're only like 10 minutes in. He's already talked about Jesus and the cross, so it must mean the sermon's over. But there's a second part of our passage that takes what we've been looking at and goes joyfully deeper. Right? Mourning can turn into rejoicing. Next, let's look at how death can turn to life. One of my favorite things uh, to do is to have brunch on the Lower East Side on Saturday. And I remember one morning as I was walking across Houston Street, I saw what seemed to be a crow eating a dead rat. And you could say that's a very New York thing or maybe appreciate like the circle of life. But for me, my appetite was instantly and viciously taken away, right? What is it about death that sucks away your appetite? In verse 55, Jesus commanded the girl to eat something after he raised her. Almost as if to say that there wasn't even a trace of death left over. In that moment, Jesus reversed death so completely that not even a shadow of it remained, almost like it was a bad dream. So what's going on here? One of the major key themes in the Gospels is the inauguration of the kingdom of God. And as Jesus was moving throughout scripture, you can see glimpses of that kingdom breaking through like rays of sunlight on a cloudy day. All of the miracles, all of the teachings, this was the new kingdom, the new creation breaking through forgiveness instead of retribution. Mourning into rejoicing, death to life, healing of every kind of affliction, all of these things were but glimpses into the new kingdom. And the only way Jesus could inaugurate this new kingdom, which would have no sin, no death, was to die on the cross. Why? Because without the cross, he could not pay for our admission into this kingdom. Without conquering death on the cross, he could not impart to us that payment. He cannot take the place as our, as our sacrifice for sins. But after his crucifixion, after three days in the tomb, when Jesus rose from the dead, this kingdom was revealed in full display. There were no more clouds to hide the sun. The new kingdom was here. 
The kingdom of God was here because the king was here. And if you think that the resurrection stopped with Jesus, that it was a one-time event, then I hope you'll be thoroughly encouraged here today because Jesus was not the only one to be resurrected, but the first of many. In other words, the resurrection did not stop with Jesus. It has begun with Jesus. Creation is slowly but surely being renewed, restored, and recalibrated. And that is why faith in Jesus, accepting that he is the most important thing in your life, changing every part of your life because he is your Lord, is so important. Through our faith, even when it's desperate, when even when we can do nothing but to fall on our feet, even when it is weak and holding on for dear life, when we don't know if we can make it to next month, this faith unites us to the resurrected Christ. Through our union with Christ, all that is his is ours. The same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead now works in us. A power that counteracts death works in, in you. This is how our mourning can turn into rejoicing. This is the reason why death can turn into life. Because we know that we are set and on our way into the new kingdom. A kingdom with no death, with no sorrow, filled with joy, filled with justice. And I want to be clear here. Until Christ fully establishes his kingdom, there will still be crows eating dead rats. This does not mean that we won't face disappointment or suffering or pain and sorrow. Death is death, even if you believe in the resurrection. Loss is still loss, and we can't rush our grieving process. In fact, we grieve and mourn in a deeper way because of the resurrection. The resurrection reminds us that death is not normal, that one day it will be done away with. We are right to be sorrowful and outraged at death. We will face the brokenness of this world, even death but we will face it with the resurrection power that is, that is at work within us. And we've already touched on parts of this, but let's look at how Jesus can give you both joy and life. The two stories in our passage have a lot of parallels, but there's one in particular that stands out. Right? The woman's ailment was for 12 years and the daughter was 12 years old. At the beginning of those 12 years, can you imagine these stories playing out? Whereas one household celebrated the birth of a child, full of laughter, of joy, of happiness, while the other filled with deep mourning and sadness. And yet when their stories intersect in Jesus, they both find joy and life. Whether you come desperate, stumbling, unprepared, 
maybe even skeptical, whichever way you meet Jesus, every story that encounters Jesus can be healed, be rejoiced over. No soul is hopeless while Christ still has breath. Now, if uh, this, this little object is you, right? Perhaps, you know, you don't know what the future might hold. Perhaps you've been stuck inside for a while and you need to take a walk like me, right? If this hand symbolizes the love of Christ poured out for you through the cross, right? And if this hand symbolizes the guaranteed resurrection power that is at work in you today, do you think you can ever jump out of God's hands? Even when we feel weary and our faith is thin, God has you in his grasp. There's an entrepreneurial idea which I believe is is derived from the gospel. And it goes like this. If you knew that you had 20 no's until you had a $100 million company, how eager would you be to get your first no? How fast would you go to get your second no? And if the the resurrection makes sense of our suffering in the present, because we know our suffering will lead to glory. Every trial, every hard season, every frustration, every heartbreak, we count them as we approach a glory that is certain. Whether it's through mourning or death, Jesus can turn them to joy and life. Here are two quick applications before we pray. First, everyone needs encouragement. Now, it might sound obvious to you, but the word encourage means to put courage into someone. And in our context, it may mean to know someone well enough to see how God has uniquely empowered them to live a courageous life because of the gospel. It might mean keeping someone accountable and refusing to let that person cave under pressure in their work or in their life for the gospel, and at the same time, supporting them, whether it's financially, with your time or energy, if there's any fallout. Everyone needs encouragement to put courage into someone. The second application is that every industry of work cries out that Christ would be Lord. Every industry of work cries out to be restored through the resurrection. Whether it's through restoring the good, standing up for ethical treatments, standing up against injustice, you get to participate in how Christ is restoring his creation. Of course, there will be brokenness. And you might be out of work or working in a tough or hard place. But what if those are but the 20 no's until a more just and compassionate society? So dream with me as we anticipate this. Jesus can give us both joy and life even in the midst of mourning and death. 
trust him, place your faith in him, let him mourn with you, go out and bring resurrection change. Let's pray. Father, as we approach your presence and seek you out in our places of work, as we mourn the death of family members or our loved ones who are sick, Lord, we need your hope to be within us. And that in the moments uh, uh, when we are in our closet and cry over the brokenness of this world, when we have those sleepless nights, Lord, we need to see, feel your presence more and more. We need your word to encourage us to have hope. Lord, it may seem that no word or concept can bring food to the table, but we know that you will provide in our meagerness and our lack. And so as we remember how much you love us, as we push ourselves to bring about this resurrection change that is already at work within us. Send us to love those around us as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.